Let's pray together. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. End quote. When I read that last week, my first reaction was, wait, what? We are the light of the world? That must be a misprint. If I'm the light of the world, then the world is in for a pretty dim future. Doesn't Jesus say in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world? That makes sense. Jesus was perfect. Maybe Matthew misheard Jesus like the guys in Monty Python's The Life of Brian who were so far back in the crowd at the Sermon on the Mount that they thought Jesus said, Blessed are the cheesemakers. Me? The light of the world? Too absurd. It's like telling Typhoid Mary that she's the health of the world. With light like me to point people to God, no one is going to find him. But it's not a misprint. Jesus does say that he is the light of the world, but he also calls us the light of the world. He's given us his light to carry into every corner of the world. And that is a big responsibility. But thanks be to God, God's light can shine through the darkness of our sin and shortcomings. That's not to say that we shouldn't strive to do good works, seeking the good of our neighbor or to tell people about God. We should, of course, do those things. Does our sinfulness and inadequacy mean that we should then shun the spotlight lest anyone associate our sin with God? Well, that hardly seems consistent with Jesus saying, no one after lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. When I was a graduate student at the University of Illinois, it was common before football games for a few of the players from each team to gather in the center of the field for a few moments to pray for each other and the upcoming game. And a few days after one game, I read a letter to the editor in the campus newspaper from one of the campus chaplains criticizing the players for making a show of their faith. He suggested that a more faithful way of living out their Christianity would be to heed the words of Jesus to the Pharisees in which he warned against making a public show of faith with long prayers and ostentatious displays of piety in the form of fasting and gifts to the temple treasury and encourage them instead to pray in secret and not to let their right hand know what their left hand was doing. Well, let me tell you, I did not have very much sympathy for that chaplain who was taking the football players to task for praying in public. Hadn't he heard Jesus' call 
to his disciples to be salt of the earth and the light of the world? Would he sooner have them leave their light under a bushel basket than show it to the world, I wonder? You know, this issue of how public our Christian witness should be is one that continues to trouble Christians today. We don't want to show off our faith, but we don't want to be secretive about it either. Similar issues are raised in our readings from Isaiah and 1 Corinthians. Isaiah takes to task those who seem to think that individual acts of piety, like fasting, and merely outward obedience to the Mosaic law will cause God to hear them. In contrast to purely individual, sacrificial displays of piety, Isaiah calls us to a living faith expressed in love of neighbor. Isaiah tells those who are fasting not to stop doing it, but not to stop there to look beyond themselves and to relieve the burdens of the oppressed. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus echoes Isaiah's concern that we individualize our faith to the extent that it becomes disconnected from service to neighbor. But it's easy to miss that echo in English because our word, you are the light of the world, you plural, sounds, which is what Jesus says, sounds just like you singular are the light of the world, which is not what Jesus says. Jesus uses the plural. He says, you collectively are the light of the world. It's not just up to us individually. It's his disciples as a body that are the light of the world, which may relieve some of the pressure on us personally, but even so, how much better, really, is a collection of smoldering wicks than just one of them? Taken together, we can still never be as good as God. More on that in a minute. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' concern is not so much that people are trying to show off their faith, but that they're neglecting their neighbors. As that, as that they're... It's not so much that, 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 and neglecting their neighbors, as it is that their faith isn't externally evident at all. Beginning with the Beatitudes that we heard last week, Jesus calls his disciples to be courageous, to live out their faith more publicly, not to neglect obedience to the law, even to the extent of commending the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. But Jesus doesn't just stop there. He goes on to up the ante, like Isaiah, calling his disciples not to obey merely the letter of the law, but to exceed it, living exemplary lives in obedience to God and service to neighbor. Which brings us back to the problem of being the light of the world. Even collectively, we can never, what we do can never be as good as God. No light of ours can hold a candle to his. And yet God uses us anyway, not by relying on our obedience or our righteousness, but on his righteousness, which he gives to us in Jesus Christ. In closing, let's remember two things. First, we are the light of the world because God has given us a light that is alien to us, that is not our own. It comes from outside. It's the gift of Jesus Christ. 
What makes any work of ours good in an ultimate sense is that it begins and ends in Christ. Even our lousy works and even downright wickedness God can use for good. As Joseph says to his brothers in Genesis 50, verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Which is, if you're familiar with Paul's letter to the Romans, no excuse for sin, as he points out in the sixth chapter of that letter. The second thing to remember is that the light of Christ is not just ours individually, but is a gift to all who have been baptized into his death and resurrection. And that makes Messiah a community of light as we bear the light of Christ together. God has chosen us, earthen vessels, imperfect though we are, to carry the light of the gospel into the world, to reflect the light of Christ to our neighbors. We can be the light of the world in spite of ourselves because, as you'll hear Philip Carey say if you come to the lecture at St. Peter this afternoon, the gospel, through the gospel, God gives us Christ. We bear his light, and thanks be to God, our darkness has not overcome it.